Welcome to the We'll Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. And I want to thank you for making this podcast a part of your day. You know, every once in a while there's a song or a hymn that just seems to capture the truth of a particular time or a season. So I asked our very talented office uh, assistant, Emily Shane, to sing this haunting and hopeful Advent carol for you. It's called Each Winter as the Year Grows Older. Take a listen, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Thank you, Emily. This is the third Sunday in Advent, a four-week season of the church year. It leads up to Christmas. It marks a new year. It comes as we march into the long nights of the winter months, especially up here in the Pacific Northwest. The general theme of Advent for Christians has to do with getting ready, getting ready for the arrival of Christ the Lord. John the Baptist is a Bible character associated with evident, known for his wild preaching in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. As we prepare for Christ's arrival, we we get ready, well, for Christmas. We recall the events and prophecies that led up to the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And of course, we get ready for Christmas, decking the halls, trimming the tree, buying the presents. During Advent, we also get ready for Christ's return, Christ's return to judge the living and the dead. We prepare our hearts to receive Christ into our lives now and to be received by Christ on the last day. We look forward to the great day of the Lord. I mean, if you ever saw the Game of Thrones, you know that the underlying warning was that winter is coming. 
But for Christians, Christ's return means new life and light and hope. For Christians, even as the days are short and the nights are long, Advent holds out the promise that spring is coming. So today I'd like to reflect on each of the verses of this Advent hymn, then leave you with a few takeaways and a blessing. Verse 1. Each winter, as the year grows older, we each grow older too. The chill sets in a little colder, and the verities we knew seem shaken and untrue. This tune is known as the Carol of Hope. It was written by a church organist and pastor's wife named Annabeth Gay, who went by Betsy, born in 1925. Her husband Bill was five years older, was a pastor of the United Church of Christ, and it looks as though they must have lived and served at least part of their time in western Ohio. He wrote the words to go along with this tune. And I expect that uh, one Advent season, Betty and Pastor Bill taught this song to the choir, and the choir first performed it on a cold Advent Sunday morning like this one. It got published in a UCC hymnal first in 1971, 50 years ago. It was included in the ELCA's With One Voice songbook back in 1995 and now is in our current hymnal as well. Each winter, as the year grows older, we each grow older too. I wonder. I wonder if the congregation chuckled at the truth of this opening line. A little older, a little more confused. I tell you, getting older ain't for sissies. Amen? Amen. And the chill sets in a little colder. He might have been thinking about one of those cold Ohio winters, but he also might have been thinking about relationships that had gone cold, resentments that had lingered, or maybe a sense that the congregation's passion for God's mission was cooling off. The verities we knew seemed shaken and untrue. One of the things that happens as we get older is that we discover how much we don't know. Verities, sure things, common knowledge, these get called into question. You think about Pastor Bill in the late 60s, Vietnam, the civil rights movement, even Watergate a few years later. It was a time in our history when things got shaken up, the things we thought we knew. Which takes us to verse 2. When race and class cry out for treason and sirens call for war, they overshout the voice of reason and scream till we ignore all we held dear before. <laughs> Things haven't changed much since 1971, have they? Racial tensions, economic disparity, Russia threatening the Ukraine, Iran threatening the Middle East, extremists and protesters marching in Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon. They overshout the voice of reason and scream till we ignore all we held dear before. The only difference in 50 years, it seems, is that newspapers and televisions have been replaced by smartphones and social media feeds. Author David French writes about uh, this in his book uh, entitled Divided We Fall, back in 2020. He writes, two decades into the 21st century, the United States is less united as a country than at any time in our history since the Civil War. We are more diverse in our principles and societies than ever before. 
but reds and blue states, secular and religious groups, liberal and conservative idealists, and Republican and Democratic representatives all have one thing in common. They believe that their distinct cultures and liberties are being threatened by an increasingly violent opposition. Hear that again. They have one thing in common. They believe that their distinct cultures and liberties are being threatened by an increasingly violent opposition. This observation rings true in my experience these days. I'm concerned for people in my congregation, long-time God-fearing faithful members who express to me outright hatred and loathing toward people they've never met. A former president, a leading scientist, a state governor, an annoying television personality, or even an entire group of people who happen to get their news from the wrong source. We have leaders these days stoking fear and frenzy, overshouting the voice of reason, screaming until we ignore all we held dear before. Civility, decency, kindness, tolerance, humility. I grew up learning if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Or Luther's exhortation about the Eighth Commandment, that we are to speak well of and defend our neighbors, giving others the benefit of the doubt. It reminds me these days of a story in Genesis 11 about the descendants of Noah, the story of the Tower of Babel. Here's a group of people, they all speak the same language, they share a geography, and they begin to build a tower together. And then one day they discover that they no longer understand each other. It's like people are speaking a totally different language. So, of course, they talk louder, (laughs) but nothing works. Why can't those people understand me? What's wrong with them? People started finding others who spoke their language, and they formed groups and tribes and parties and agreed that whatever happened must have been those other people's fault, not ours. And they started fighting each other. Eventually, all the groups went their own way. And that project, which had begun, was abandoned. And maybe the most striking element of the story of the Tower of Babel is that the Bible tells us that God is the one who caused the confusion in the first place. Could God be doing something similar today? And if so, then how shall we live? What is our response? Verse 3. Yet I believe beyond believing that life can spring from death, that growth can flower from our grieving, that we can catch our breath and turn transfixed by faith. Yet I believe beyond believing. When Jesus once asked a desperate father if he believed that Jesus had the power to heal the man's son, the father blurts out his genuine faith and doubt. Lord, I believe, he says. Help me with my unbelief. It's in Mark chapter 9. Doubt is a part of faith, and winter is a part of life. Winter is a gift from God, a natural and necessary season in the cycle of life. Winter is about mortality and dying. The plant dies and rots and becomes a part of the soil that bears the seed that will come to life again in the spring. Everything rots. Jesus uses this metaphor for his own death and resurrection. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, he teaches. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The scriptural reference for this particular verse is John 12, 24, which is also the date of Christmas Eve, right? The 
24th day of the 12th month. 12th month. And so John 12, 24 reminds us that the night we celebrate the living bread from heaven falling, metaphorically of course, to earth to die in order to give birth to a new kingdom. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I believe beyond believing that life can spring from death, that growth can flower from our grieving. Grief. Grief is a natural response to loss, and it sucks. It really does. And everyone experiences it. We grieve. We grieve the loss of loved ones. This weekend is the two-year anniversary of the deaths of two dear members of faith, Sandy and Roger. And we all miss them, and Daniel and Lynn miss them even more. Sometimes the holidays make the sense of grief even more acute because of the Christmas tree and the Thanksgiving turkey reminding us that our loved ones are not here to share them with us anymore. Churches and communities grieve too. This last month, the women's group of this congregation, the, the Faith Lutheran Church Women, FLCW, they decided to disband as a formal organization in the church. As a congregation, we grieve this loss, even as we express our profound gratitude for their tireless work and care over the decades. Decades! The truth is that groups and ministries and even congregations are mortal, too. Someone once taught me that we don't get over our grief, we get through it. We somehow endure too many long, dark, lonely, cold nights. We cry, lash out, perseverate, bargain, sleep, and rage. And then one day, one day, we catch our breath. We begin to see glimpses of color again. We find gratitude and peace and depth and new hope. At least sometimes anyway. For Faith Lutheran Church, I am certain, I believe beyond believing, that out of the rich soil and remains of the FLCW, something new will flower. It'll be like a a sapling that sprouts on a nursing tree. God will use the foundation and nutrients of that fallen timber to birth something new. We We believe beyond believing that life will spring from death. Verse four. So even as the sun is turning to journey to the north, the living flame in secret burning can kindle on the earth and bring God's love to birth. This verse captures the hidden, relentless, and patient provision and power of God. The sun, which God created and set in motion along with the moon and the stars and solar system and galaxy, has been turning to journey to the north for a long time. Thousands, millions, billions of winters turning to spring, turning to summer, turning to fall, turning to winter again. God has been at work creating and redeeming the universe for billions of years. God has been calling, gathering, teaching, and sending out workers into the harvest for millennia. On our brightest days and in our darkest nights, God's spirit, God's mission, God's presence have never failed or faltered. 
The spark of living fire persists, ready to burst to flame when the time is right, when God's love is ready to be birthed anew in the world. This is Advent, the hope of the Christian faith in the dark days of winter. And finally, verse 5. O child of ecstasy and sorrows, O prince of peace and pain, brighten today's world by tomorrow's. Renew our lives again. Lord Jesus, come and reign. This fifth verse is an Advent prayer. A prayer to the Christ child born in Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would be the Prince of Peace and a man of sorrows familiar with pain. O child of ecstasy and sorrows, O Prince of Peace and Pain. Both ecstasy and sorrow are thin places, times in our lives when we are most receptive or susceptible to encounters with the divine. Those encounters take our breath away. They transfix us, transform us, transport us from dark to light, from doubt to faith. And so this prayer implores God to brighten today's world by tomorrow's. Tomorrow's what? It's a possessive rendering of this word, tomorrow's, without a clear object. Tomorrow's what? Implied is tomorrow's world. Brighten our world by tomorrow's world. A world described by the Apostle John at the end of Revelation this way. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Revelation 21. I love this image of a future glory and goodness that shines so bright, bright enough to bring light into our present. A future that's so certain that we can use its light to guide us through an uncertain present. Renew our lives again. Lord Jesus, come and reign. So I'll leave you with four takeaways. The first takeaway is this, hope in the Lord. Psalm 25 says, In you, Yahweh my God, I put my trust. The gospel tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. We proclaim that Christ has come and Christ will come again. The the good news of the church, spring is coming. Hope in the Lord. The second takeaway, though, is embrace the suck. Winter time is a part of life, so is death, so is grief. The Apostle Paul once encouraged a grieving congregation, reminding them that while Christians can't avoid death and loss, we do not grieve like people who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, he says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4. As we embrace the suck, as we take our grieving on head on, may we learn compassion, gratitude, patience, and faith. Come, Lord Jesus. Number three, turn off the noise. Seriously, 
turn it off. Your new source is not unbiased and it has neither your best interest nor the well-being of the nation in mind. The fox and the peacock both just want your attention and they will scream till we ignore all we held dear before. So for the love of God, just turn it off. Listen to Christmas songs instead. Or maybe more episodes of this podcast. Or or maybe not. Number four, you are not alone. You may be feeling isolated, lonely, maybe even under attack. But I want you to know that you're not alone. God is with you. And God's people at Faith, the church, we're not going anywhere without you. Masks and vaccines are a pain sometimes, but they are a small price that we are willing to pay so that everyone knows that they are welcome at faith, that they are safe, and they are loved. Welcome home, we say around here, because it's good to be home. Let me leave you with a blessing from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Hope you will check out our website, www.faithshelton.org, to learn more about the amazing love of God and how you can participate in the mission and ministries of faith. You can sign up for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, subscribe to this podcast, give a donation. You probably know the drill by now. I want to thank Chaz for his podcast production work every week, and a special thanks to Emily today for lending her voice. O child of ecstasy and sorrows, O prince of peace and pain, brighten today's world by tomorrow's, renew our lives again. Lord Jesus, come and reign. Amen. Mm-hmm.